So I want to introduce um, Fred the Gator, and he is he is speaking today, and he's spoken a couple times now um, for our Quicksilver community as part of our community. But I realize some of you um, may not know him and may not know his last name. So it's he's Fred Gillum, G I L H A M. Um, Gator is not his actual last name, as much as you as much as the counts would like to think so. Um, and I also just wanted to say a little bit about him. Um, I've known Fred for, I think it's going on at least 20 years, maybe 25. Um, and he started out certainly as a mentor um, to me. Um, he's taught hermeneutics at Western Seminary, and I've learned um, how to see and how to think, um, how to think critically um, through Fred. But I think in the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, um, we our relationship has, be, has become much more of a friendship. And so um, I'm privileged today to call him um, my friend. And that's not a demotion on Fred's part, um, not in any way. Um, I think friendship is the ultimate um, level um, to, to have in a, in a relationship and to have that kind of recipro reciprocity. Um, we have hiked through snow together. Um, we have backpacked um, and we have played basketball. Um, and in recent years, we've um, read and written poetry together. So it's my uh, privilege to introduce Fred Gillum, also known as Fred the Gator. Oh, wow. Thank you, Fred. That's a little unexpected. Yes, I was, uh, uh, yeah, Fred invited me to a group with another guy and the three of us have, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, I don't know exactly how to put it. We, we have, we have drank arrogant bastard ale and for, <laughs> and it, as, as almost our, our, you know, emblem, emblematic of who we are when we're in that group. And of course, uh, there's been a lot of uh, conflict and a lot of uh, argument, but, I'll, you know, I, I realize uh, that that group meant a lot to me uh, as an expression of friendship. And, and it's interesting that Fred felt I was worthy the, the bottle on um, the bottle of arrogant bastard ale says you are not worthy so anyway uh, it says something to me that Fred somehow thought I was worthy not that I think I'm worthy but and that Fred um, for some strange reason I have not been able to figure it out really wants me to be involved with Quicksilver and uh, he keeps asking me I keep giving him reasons why I you know I just don't fit I don't you know you know, I have this issue, that issue, and I feel really sorry for him because, you know, I just give him a really hard time, not intentionally, really, really, Fred, not intentionally, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm still here, and uh, you can pray to God about that, um, and uh, pray that he will uh, help me with all of my quibbling and issues and uh, yeah, but I, you know, to be honest, I've told him that the reason I stick it out uh, is because believe it or not uh, of you guys, um, I have come to know a few of you and I've really enjoyed that. And uh, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, the fact that you guys even gave me a new name, like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's significant in someone's life. Right. You know, so now I'm Fred the Gator. I'm thinking of having it changed at the courthouse. So no, just kidding. 
But anyway, um, speaking of someone who's had their name changed, uh, I think we're going to continue and pick up the story, if I can figure out how to share my screen, of um, your friend and mine, Abraham. Now, let me see. I'm still looking at it here, full screen. Okay, there we go. I, can everybody see that okay? Yes, no? Okay, okay. So today we're going to talk about Genesis 20. And um, it's interesting. It, oh gosh, let's see. What can I do with this? Oh, this is not going to be good. Oh, well. Uh, it starts out in a rather anticlimactic way. If you think about last week, you know, basically the world ended last week, right? I, I'm, you know, brimstone, fire, uh, poor lot. Um, had, had to go in a running off and he didn't want to and his wife didn't want to and you know he lost his wife and then he ended up in a very bad place uh which i won't go into now i just think that you know it was kind of amazing uh how really badly things turned out for a lot uh and it all comes down to i believe lack of spiritual eyesight uh he and it was interesting to me that here we're going to see some things about Abraham and you know, his own issues. Abraham was not a perfect person. Um, and as a result, it gets him in trouble and puts God's plan in danger. And so we'll see how that works out. So Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And, uh-oh, here we go again. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, <clears throat> I actually don't think that Abraham was, um, you know, I, I think Abraham made kind of a casual remark. You know, he, he this is his practice, as we'll find out later. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he just, said, oh yeah, she's my sister. And he didn't expect anything to come of it, possibly. And yet all of a sudden the king hears about, you know, Sarah and, you know, kings being kings, uh, they just figured, oh, here's an unmarried woman. I think I'm gonna snatch her up. Now it's interesting also that she is old, right? We remember that uh, she's a, you know, pretty old, but, um, <clears throat> And so the question arises, was he doing this, you know, because she was still beautiful? I mean, it's possible, but it's also possible that uh, uh, he wanted to, he wanted to make an, a bond with Abraham because Abraham, you know, was pretty well off and he figured, yeah, I'm going to make this guy part of my kingdom. And, you know, kind of like what we see later on in Genesis where, uh, one uh, a, a king rapes a king's son rapes um, Dinah, and they propose to have a marriage consummated. So, or uh, yeah, a marriage so that the Israelites will become part of their their uh, tribe, and and they'll get all the wealth of the Israelites. They're explicit about it. They say, "We'll just marry her, and we'll get all their wealth." And he might have been thinking something like that, but it affects God's promises. What is going on with that? Well, it's interesting. 
Abimelech. Abimelech means the father of kings. Melech means king in Hebrew. So we have Abimelech, Ab father of kings, and he has the right to, he feels that, hey, I can take whatever. It doesn't say he asked for permission. He just came and took her, okay? Uh, so he's acting like a king. You know, duat du seigneur, I think is the term. He just has the right, you know. So uh, Abraham, on the other hand, is also a father, though he hasn't had the particular son God intends yet. He's a father of a multitude, uh, and it's some some people have argued that the word Abra that the the word Abraham, since the word Raham doesn't appear elsewhere in the Bible, that that's that's a false um, interpretation. But there is a cognate word, ruhamun, in Arab, and it means multitude. And so the chances are that, you know, that was, that's where that came from. Uh, and so Abraham will become the father of a multitude by God's promise. Now here's the, here's the problem. Here's the question, right? The tension. Which father will be the father of Sarah's son? You see, so Abraham has just <clears throat> put a big time monkey wrench into God's plan because, Ab uh, uh, sorry, let's say Abimelech. Abimelech has put a big time monkey wrench into God's plan uh, because, you know, if, if he begets the son on Sarah, well, that would obviously be a contradiction to what God was trying to do. Uh, and so you, you can see here that Abraham, who may not have really meant much by saying that Sarah was his sister, is literally endangering what God, God's promise to him. And by, by uh, implication, God's promise to the world, which is that uh, Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. Okay. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, this shows that God is not allowing Abraham's actions, which, you know, he was the one who created the situation in the first place, uh, not allowing his actions to, to ruin his plan, not allowing Abraham's actions to ruin his plan. But, and, and it says Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech is saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, what are you doing here, God? In fact, if you if you recall um, that Abraham or Abimelech, sorry about that, I keep doing that. Abimelech's response is actually parallel to Abraham's bargain for Sodom, right? Uh, we recall Abraham says, will you slay the wicked or the innocent with the wicked? And so here, Abimelech, probably by accident, says, will you kill an innocent people, you know, uh, which is, kind of, you know, it's an interesting issue. Um, notice that um, he puts himself um, 
in the realm of innocent, okay? Now we can argue that that's by no means true since certainly we wouldn't say he was a righteous person since he just felt that he could take any woman he wants as long as she wasn't married. But anyway, um, God, God uh, listened to that, you know, yeah, God knew that. And he says, yeah, I knew. Uh, God said to him in the dream, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Okay. Um, and so God says, yeah, I know you're innocent in that you didn't, you know, but I'm the one who kept you from doing this because, you know, you nothing else is going to stop you, clearly. And uh, so God's plan overrules Abimelech's earthly power. God will not simply allow him to snatch Sarah and uh, impregnate her and thereby destroy his promises to Abraham and to Sarah. But another point is that God indicates the prophetic priestly status of Abraham. So we see here that um, God basically says, Abraham is my man. He is a prophet. And he is the one who's going to pray for you and you shall live. Now, if, Abraham, if God thought Abimelech was totally innocent, then why would he require someone to pray for Abimelech? So clearly, you know, God is saying, you know, you almost got yourself in a lot of trouble. You'd be, you'd have been dead. And the only way you're going to survive this and is by returning the wife and he will, and his husband, the husband will pray for you. You don't do this. You're all, not just you, but everybody with you will also die. And, and so God is really on Abraham's side. And this is really important because one of the things that we have a tendency to do is to not, is to, is to focus on Abraham's missteps and foibles and flaws and, and all of this. And one of the consistent things you see throughout this whole section on Abraham is God never condemns Abraham. He never abandons him. He never lets anybody triumph over Abraham. It doesn't matter what Abraham does. I mean, it would to a certain degree. And, and later we'll even see how God uh, um, kind of brings Abraham to a point of decision, you might say, where none of Abraham's stratagems and, and uh, mechanisms are going to work. Nothing's going to work. He has to trust God completely. But that's still to come. In the meantime, God simply says, Abraham's my man. I'm going to bless him. I wake up in the morning and I'm going to, first thing I think of is, who am I going to bless today? Oh, yeah, Abraham. You know, blessing, I will bless you, you know. And it's keep that in mind. Keep that in mind because, you know, we, we'll see later. Abraham is our spiritual forebear. So all of this, in, in a certain sense, all of this applies to us. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Anyway, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me the things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? So Abimelech is basically, notice that Abimelech's servants were afraid. This is important. It pops up later. We'll see it in a minute. Um, Abimelech says, hey, explain yourself. What did, what did I do to you? Right? Um, and, and, you know, what's your problem here? What did you see? What were you, what were you looking at? What was, what was causing this? What did I do? So that you did this to me, excuse me. And, and you know, you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. So clearly he's taking God very seriously here, okay? You might almost say he's taking God more seriously than Abraham because it's a little bit, I mean, not, not completely, but it's a little bit like Jonah, where everywhere Jonah goes, Everyone starts repenting, you know, the sailors repented, the Ninevites repented, everybody repented, even God repented, actually, but that's another issue. Anyway, um, Abimelech says, explain yourself, what did I do to you that you should do this to me? What are you paying me back for, right? And Abraham uh, said... I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Now let's keep in mind that the, the narrator, the, the author here has already, uh, you know, has already given away the farm here. There's no fear of God. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't he just tell us that they were afraid? You know, so Abraham had the wrong idea there. Besides, and here she is, in fact, he, he isn't really lying exactly. She is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, no, not, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Brothers from another, no, brother and sister from a different mother, whatever, however that line goes. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me. He is my brother. Okay, so what we see here is Abraham had prejudged uh, the uh, men of Abimelech's uh, men. He thought they don't fear God. And this is, a, this is the problem of, uh, Abraham had. He had no avenger of blood. There was nobody, if someone killed him, who was going to, revenge for him. Nobody would. And this is always on his mind. Um, he had left, God had told him to leave your place. And as a result, you know, he was wandering around, but there's nobody to revenge him. And so he was thinking, okay, I got to make sure nobody just up and kills me. And the sad thing about it, again, is he still has not gotten to the point where he says, God is my avenger of blood. God is my shield and my very great reward. God has already told him that, but he doesn't, he doesn't act on it, okay? 
And so there's a half truth here. Sarah is Abraham's half sister, okay? Uh, and notice also, there's a sort of a subtle reproach going on here. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, it's God's fault. This is all God's fault, okay? You know, God has put me in an impossible position. So I have to do something about that. And again, the sad thing is he has still not quite grown in his relationship with God to the point where he can abandon his subterfuge and, and say, God is my shield. Now, God, does, now God doesn't, um, God doesn't uh, abandon him. God doesn't say, well, Abraham, you, you're just not trusting me. I mean, after all, isn't it, isn't Abraham justified by his faith? Doesn't he gain standing before God because he trusts God? But he still doesn't trust him completely, you see. And this is the paradox of faith. Faith is, I'm sorry, I need to. Faith is the, um, faith is dynamic. Faith grows. We can start off with, you know, the idea of faith like a mustard seed. The problem is not how much faith we have, but who our faith is in. Because it's God's power that we are um, uh, connecting with by faith. And you see here that, you know, even though Abraham thought, hey, God's not going to protect me, God still protected him, you see. So because Abraham had a relationship with God, it was still growing. And we will see eventually, not today, but we'll eventually see how Abraham uh, uh, is forced to trust God for life and death. Uh, so he still has some growing to do, but he is there in that he has a relationship with God and standing before God on that basis. So, what you know, we have a happy ending. This is all very similar to what happened in Egypt. God is basically saying, hey, I did this before. I can do it again. Abimelech took sheep and auction, oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And those of you who have been following this story, this should sound way familiar, right? The same thing happened with uh, when he went down to Egypt. When he first got to Canaan, went down to Egypt, there was a famine, they were starving, and, um, you know, Pharaoh took Sarah, and God rescued her out for, for Abraham, and then Abraham left, and he went in there, ex having experienced a famine, he came out and it said, now Abraham was very rich. We think, how did that happen? Gee, because Pharaoh had given Abraham a lot of stuff because of Sarah. Same thing happens here. And we have an interesting um, correlation for later, a foreshadowing of what happens later. Uh, Genesis 47, 6, where Pharaoh says, this is another Pharaoh, uh, to, the, to the Israelites, the land of Egypt is before you. Take the best land, okay? Um, so 
To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your father a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Again, we have a little bit of wordplay here. Abimelech gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver on Sarah's behalf. And the Hebrew word for silver is kesef, okay? And um, as a sign of your innocence, it's unfortunate that they translate it that way. It's literally a covering, as a covering in the eyes of all who are with you. Because the Hebrew word for covering is kesef. So uh, he, uh, Abimelech says, I gave you a kesef as a kesef. For you, you know, so a, a, he gave the silver as a covering, and that is to proclaim her innocence. Uh, and so the wordplay there is is probably something that was uh, a cultural custom. You give a, a silver covering, and uh, so notice there's also some sarcasm there. I have given your brother, you know, not your husband, your brother. A thousand pieces of silver. Um, I think Abimelech is, excuse the French, pissed off at Abraham. And he intends to, you know, he, he's okay with Sarah, you know. Yeah, here's your thousand pieces of silver. You're innocent, but your brother, hmm, I wonder about him. Maybe not so innocent. And, you know, I think Abraham is, you know, kind of deserves it. But... Abimelech judges Abraham, but God does not. This is the important thing. God never judges Abraham. And this is just remarkable because the narrator, the narrator here clearly is laying all his cards on the table. You know, Abraham is not, as, as when Fred and I were talking, uh, he said, this was not Abraham's best moment, you know. And, uh, but God doesn't, give any indication that that's the case, okay? Okay, so then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I'm also wondering what he had done to Abimelech because it said God healed Abimelech, but we will not, not speculate on that matter. Anyway, uh, so Abraham is a prophet and a priest. You notice that he prayed to God. He represented Abimelech before Abraham, for before God. That's a priestly function. God said he's a prophet. That means he speaks my words. Um, and so uh, Abraham had this prophet and priest uh, role. What's more... Abraham represents contact with life. It's through Abraham that Abimelech is uh, connected back with life. Uh, and this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, so we see that Abraham, with all his faults, still plays an essential role. Now, you might say, well, he's the one who brought the problem in the first place, but they end up going away, or when he goes away, uh, or, you know, after this episode, Abimelech knows that there is a God. And if he didn't fear God before, he fears him now. 
Um, so he intercedes and he brings life to the world. This is um, a foreshadowing of the intercession that Jesus does for us. So Abraham here, again, with all his faults, foreshadows Jesus. And he shows the world the reality of God. Okay. Um, so what's, how does this apply to us? Well, again, Abraham is our spiritual forebear, right? We, we saw that in Romans 4. Uh, and uh, so we're acceptable before God in the same way he was. We, sh we walk in the faith of Abraham. We walk in, as we come before God with faith, uh, we also are uh, made righteous in the same way, same way Abraham was made righteous through faith. Okay, so we have God's action of grace. God takes a relational initiative with Abraham. Because God calls Abraham before Abraham does anything. And then we have a response of trust. And it's this combination of God's initiative and our response that constitutes the essence of, of salvation and of, of uh, uh, what you would call redemption. God makes the offer and we respond. We hear his word and believe it. And that's really all there is to it when you come down to it. Everything else God does. Uh, we just keep walking in that, in that faith, that, that, in that trust that uh, led us to God in the first place. So Abraham was acceptable to God in spite of his failings. We need to take this very seriously because, you know, so many times I hear you know, people saying things like, well, you know, God won't bless you unless you're, you know, holy before him or things like that. And I, I don't think that captures the nature of, of uh, uh, the way that God works with us. God takes us from where we are to where he wants us to be. But if he didn't start with us where we are, he could never get us to where he wanted us. Um, so, uh, Abraham was going to get what he wanted, even if he had to do, do it himself. Abraham, that's why Abraham had Ishmael. Um, he, he had his own ways of doing things. And obviously God said, no, 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 that's not the way we're going to do it. Uh, and also he was going to take care of himself after all, who else would? And that risked and endangered God's plan. And so, you know, we have this theory about, um, what you would call God's best for our life. And, and people are always saying, well, you can miss God's best for your life. I don't, I, I don't like that view. I just think that God is going to walk with us and he is going to, you know, he's going to take our decisions and he's going to redeem them. Obviously, we can get ourselves in trouble. We can experience a lot of pain. We can end up with a lot of chastening, but that doesn't, um, uh, endanger the fact that God is able to bring us, bring about in us everything he has promised, the same way with Abraham. So don't go around thinking, oh, I make one wrong mistake, and oh, no, I've missed God's best for my life. God will get the job done. He uh, says it over and over again. I know whom I've persuaded and or I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to, well, that's not the one I was thinking. There's another one that's basically says God will get the job done. All right. 
Um, God acted in Abraham's life in spite of his failings. He's a priest, chosen as a priest, refused to allow the world to judge him, okay? And he grew in his faith. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So Abraham's faith was a growing. That means it was not as strong when it started out as it became later on. And we need to see our, our own lives in that light. We're still growing. We're still learning who God is. Uh, just like Abraham, God affirms us by grace in spite of our failings or even through our failings. Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh, asked God to take it away, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, so that thorn, whatever it was, God used Abraham even through that thorn. We don't you know, know exactly how that worked. But Abraham says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because that's when God is strong. We are priests. You're all priests. You all represent God to the world and the world to God. You are living stones being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, we, are us. We are where God is present. We are where his spirit lives, and we are his representatives, and we represent the world before him. We have to pray for the world, and we have to speak to the world what God wants to say to the world. That's what priests do. Our job is to intercede for the world. And here's another point. We're the only source of life for the world. We have to take this seriously. If we don't believe this, then what are we doing? Why are we, you know, what is the gospel if it's not the only source of life for the world? We offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it's through that, on, by, by giving ourselves to God as living sacrifices, that we manifest God's life to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because you have called us to this awesome and wonderful uh, uh, place to be your priests, to represent you to the world and to represent the world before you. Help us to, we, we know we're not, we know we're not um, equal to this, but help us to at least keep it in mind as we go through life. Help us to, instead of cursing at the drivers that cut us off, help us to pray for them. Instead of hating our enemies, help us to love them. Help us to be uh, light to the world in dark places. Uh, we thank you that you have both desired this and made it possible through Jesus, in, whom, in whose name we pray. Amen.